welcome to the Inspirate Podcast. My name is Kyle Hastings, and I will be sharing stories and talking with everyday people who will encourage, will inspire, and will motivate. Throughout my journey of life, I have been very lucky to meet many beautiful people with amazing stories of transformation and growth. Inspirate is here to bring out the best of you. Enjoy the show. another Inspirate Podcast. My name is Kyle Hastings. This episode this week is a very, very unique episode where I have the opportunity to sit down with a husband and wife team. They have a beautiful family, but not only do they have a beautiful family, they have provided beautiful families for other families. They have been surrogates. Not only are they surrogates, but they were also foster parents and they also adopted children as well as fostering and giving for adoption uh, dogs, pets. They are modern day angels. I like to say angels that walk amongst us. They have provided beautiful homes and life, beautiful lives for our fur babies and children. Uh, Being a surrogate, we get to hear the paternal side of it when we speak with Josh and we hear the maternal side from Courtney as well. These are some interesting topics that I do not know anything about. And we speak for about two and a half hours about their beautiful lives and how they have affected many families. And they are just pure inspirations. Uh, They encourage, they inspire, they motivate. They are the definition of inspirate. Enjoy the show. This podcast would not be possible if it was not from the help of the Tory Foot and Ankle Specialist. Located in Homer Glen and New Lenox, Illinois, Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist provides comprehensive podiatry services to people of all ages. Dr. Christopher Vittori and Dr. Amit Thakrar are dedicated to helping patients treat a wide range of foot and ankle issues. To learn more about the podiatry services at Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist, use the online booking tool or call the office to book an appointment today by calling 708 273-7080, visiting them at VittoriFootClinic.com and liking and following their Instagram and Facebook pages. With two locations in the Chicago suburbs, TM Tire is both a passenger car tire and a commercial truck tire sales and service shop. Their friendly staff will be happy to quote you on any new tires, which also includes the sales and service of semi-truck tires. To our truck driver friends, TM Tire also recaps and sells semi-truck tires. After you receive the quote from Crestwood and New Lenox, Illinois locations, tell them Kyle from the Enspray Podcast sent you and you'll receive $5 off labor of every new tire purchased. Thank you so much to all of our listeners that have given us ratings and reviews on the podcast players that you listen to. That means the world to me, and that also helps Enspray gain a little bit of share in the podcast world. I ask that you like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Enspray, as well as share with your friends what Enspray has to offer, our mission statement of sharing the stories of everyday people that will encourage, inspire, and motivate. I hope you enjoy Courtney and Josh, two living angels that walk amongst us as they share their story. Thank you 
for recording here and we're finally working after about 15 minutes of just like messing around with microphones and such and sort of embarrassing but then again this is amazon purchased and uh, i'm an amateur at this i have no clue what i'm doing i'm faking it till i make it but it sounds good when it's produced so we'll go from there but my name is kyle hastings thank you so much for tuning in again to the unsprayed podcast and we have two special guests today, and when I say special, they are literally living angels. And when we were talking a little bit earlier, and I said that, and Courtney says, am I a uh, crazy, or no, am I bat poop crazy? And Josh smiled, and I think he was going to mumble yes, but he don't want to get cracked. <laughs> and <laughs> But literally, I have two angels sitting in front of me. Now, I've known Josh for maybe 25 years I'm gonna say how old were you when you started in the program probably about 20 years 2000 21 years 21 years so we're gonna be very vague with some things here and it's just to you know to protect the you know privacy but uh, I've known him for a while since he, he started into a program and it's a very uh, it's a great program of no it's not that type of program am I allowed to <laughs> well you you go ahead, Greenlight, whatever I could say. Or well, you I can just correct. started volunteering, and you were aware of me, and we met through volunteerism. and Volunteerism? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't exactly a mandatory program. A volunteer, no. <laughs> a volunteer program. That sounds much better. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a court-mandated program. It, it was a community anything. program. Yeah, it was a community yeah. program of giving back. So over the years, I got to know Josh, and then Courtney came into Josh's life. We're at 15. At 15. 15 years 15 years wow and you blink your eyes and it seemed like it was yesterday it's just love every day it keeps getting better and better huh. uh. <laughs> <laughs> so we started this uh i started this unsprayed podcast about two months ago through a, an idea of i wanted to give back i wanted to give back messages that are that are inspiring they're encouraging they're motivational stories that make people feel good and my whole goal is if I can affect one person by sharing a story from somebody that I know sharing my story sharing sharing any type of story that's a win and I'm just trying to get as much notches to get into heaven as I possibly can and so this is my way I've been very lucky to meet a lot of people a lot of very very interesting and a lot of uh, just great people that have stories that are beautiful just unbelievably beautiful so I posted the first podcast and on um, was it Facebook or was it Instagram? Yeah, Facebook. Instagram. So I was off Facebook for a while. I just was getting you know disgusted with it, but I needed Facebook friends break to share this message just because I, I have a pretty big what's called social network friend group on Facebook, and it's a lot of eyes, a lot of unique eyes. But there's also a lot of great stories of the people that I know on Facebook. So I posted the first story. And Josh chimes in, can I be interviewed? Or when am I going to be interviewed? And it was like fireworks went off in my head because honestly, I didn't even th think of Josh. Like at the time, I was thinking of different stories of people that I ran into. So Josh's story came into my head with fireworks because when I say living angels, that's exactly what they are. They have given opportunity for everything to have beautiful lives. And I reached out to Josh through a text message, and I said, absolutely, you can be interviewed. I got a great idea. 
And then I forgot that I sent Josh that text message because it was a long, it was just a long week or things. I mean, yeah. we're busy. We've got large families. There's a lot of things going on. You like dangled the carrot. I wasn't sure where we were going with it. Yeah, yeah. So the the carrot was dangled, and I totally forgot that I said absolutely. And so then Josh sends me a text. Hey, you you got me intrigued. What are we going to talk about? said you have the most one of the most beautiful stories your family that need to be shared and, and people need to hear about this so we talked about it for a while and what it came out to is what you guys perceive as normal this is normal there's nothing special that you're doing you're doing what you feel is right and what it's normal everybody should be doing it but not a lot of people are doing it so introduce yourselves uh let's start from the, how did you guys meet and let's talk about all the way up to uh, your son's being born. We met through our high school exes. You want to introduce yourself? My name is Courtney. My name's Josh. So there's people listening to this and they don't know who Courtney and Josh are, so that's why we had to do an introduction. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so we met through our exes. I was 15 at the time. I stayed with my ex for like three and a half years. I broke up with my ex. He broke up with his ex. We stayed friends because our 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 exes were actually cousins. And so that's how we ended up becoming friends. And we stayed friends even after the breakup. And then randomly one night he called after us not talking for almost a year. And I've dealt with him every day since. <laughs> dealt with him every day? Yeah. That sounds like a perfect marriage. <laughs> August yeah. will be 15 years. We dated for a year exactly. We got engaged after a year, and then we got married a year after that. And what year was the marriage? What year? August. We started dating August of 06. We got engaged in 07 and married August of 08. Wow. And when was your first son born? August of 09. August of 09. Wow. So there was literally, you guys were off to the races. You heard the yeah. trumpets like at the Kentucky Derby yeah. and... Here we go. Yeah, as, as soon as we got married, we were ready to be parents, and we found out Christmas Day that she was pregnant with him. That's great. So your first son was born. Yep. And he's, what, fifth grade, sixth grade? He is about to turn 12 and is going into sixth grade. Sixth grade, so he's big time right now. He knows what's going on. Your second son was born. 2012, after trying for over a year. Really? And did you have complications or was it, there, was it just a, uh, um, a trying time that there was, yeah, was there, I mean, you said trying for over a year. So we didn't know that it was an issue until we got to like the year mark. And so we seen a specialist yeah. and that's when they told me I had low egg count and quality. And so if I was somebody who had waited until I was start like 40 to start having kids, they just wouldn't have kids. And so... They said we were going to start with insemination, and if that didn't work, we'd go to IVF. And literally the next month before we started anything, I ended up pregnant, and so we didn't have to have any intervention. Yeah, we wow. literally we had the first appointment and like laid out a plan, and then we never had to do any of it. And then he was born on April Fool's Day. April 1st. Mm -hmm. Both of my children were born on April 2nd. Wow. My, my oldest was born on April 2nd, 2009 at 1030. I know this, I feel like Miyagi. We should have chopsticks ready to get it, but it's okay. He just wants to be a part of the podcast too, because he knows podcasts are cool. But so Maggie, Maggie was born on 2000, in 2009, April 2nd, 2009 at 1030 AM. My son was born 
April 2nd at 9.30 a.m. on 2011 in the same uh, birthing area wow. suite. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> birthing suite. And the a lot of the same nurses were there. And they were trying to tell Sarah, like, ah, hold, hold up, we got one hour. We're going to have both born at the same time. Well, Sarah wasn't having it. Either was. So selfish. Yeah, aren't they? I know. I told her. I'm like, like take one for the up. team. Leah. I tried to get her. Noah, Noah was, was born, born at 1030. 10.30 p.m. And I was like, we can't have an April Fool's baby. Yeah. We're not doing it. Wait till after midnight. And she just wouldn't do yeah. it. Well, I didn't have an epidural. So by like 7.30. So you cheated too. So you needed one so you could like be fine during the entire thing. Well, so like by 7.30, he's like, we can totally make it. There's no way yeah. this baby's going to come before then. And by like 9.30, I'm yelling at him. I'm yeah. yelling at my sister. Yeah. And they're like, we're not making it till midnight. I'm like, that's right, we ain't making it to midnight. <laughs> so Josh plays baseball. Did he show up like at a catcher's mitt? Oh, like catcher's, your catcher's Shit, outfit ready was, to catch the baby. It was my it was my <laughs> second time, and the first time I I caught, and the second time it was she actually did a water birth. So it was the first water birth ever at um, Little, Little Company, Company and Mary. Mary. So almost the entire floor of nurses was in our room watching the baby be born. Because it was the first time. You're like a grandstand. Like, first time. bleachers? Yeah. First, we turned around and there was every bit of 30 nurses in the room when Holy I was born. Because they've never seen that they before. They've never seen it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because before actually, they would let women labor in the tub, but when it was time to give birth, they would make you yeah. get out. And I had the option of staying. And so I did. Yeah. Her midwife, there was a whole medical write-up about it in the medical journal and everything. Wow. So, I've seen those YouTube videos where... Babies were born in, in the in the tub, and they actually could breathe the liquid. Yeah. It, or it's they don't start breathing until they're they the feel air. the air, so they can stay underwater until they're brought up. Above Amazing. The air. And then you see like babies in the pool, like swimming underwater. Yeah. And it's just like they know how to do it, but let you can't get an adult yeah. to go underwater. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. <laughs> well, that, that's that's absolutely beautiful. So your two sons were born, okay, and uh, you're they're two years apart. Two and a half, yeah. Two and a half years apart, lots of fun. And the the spots that start coming in, which came to mind where I wanted to talk to you guys about, was just the the selfless nature that you have of constantly always giving. And you don't, again, when you're doing it, you don't think of it. But when you're an outsider like my, me and you see it, it's absolutely beautiful. So I learned at first, now you, you guys are going to have to help me out with the story and the timeline, that... You guys were uh, fostering dogs. Is, is that correct? That's the newest. That's the new. Okay, so let's... That's the last. That's the last. So you... All right. Okay, now now I know someone of the story. I can put the timeline together. <laughs> so your sons were born. Did you guys try having kids after? Um, I knew that I wanted to carry a surrogate pregnancy. And we, needed, we knew we needed to sell our house before we had a third baby. And so... We waited for a third of our own, and that's where Gianna comes in. So you had, you knew that you were going to, you wanted to have another baby, yeah. but you wanted to be a surrogate. Yeah, and so we could not, there was nowhere to put another baby in our house, so I figured I would carry the surrogate pregnancy now, and that time we would move, and then, and then I would have the bigger house and the space, and a bigger age gap between two and three. So I've heard of surrogates. I've never met one. I've never met of a young lady that made the choice to be a surrogate. 
And there's a lot of guys that listen to this podcast that they heard the word surrogate, but they might not know what that means. Could you explain what a surrogate is and, and, and the, so just fully explain it. Maybe I need to explain it because I'm a guy. Well, <laughs> well there's, there's two versions of surrogacy. Okay. There's a traditional surrogate and there's a gestational surrogate. I was a gestational surrogate. Baby was completely made in a Petri dish, contains none of my DNA. I have no relation. That's called a gestational a gestational surrogate. surrogate. Okay. A traditional surrogate would basically be like uh, they would use either the father's sperm or a sperm donor and right. then get me pregnant by insemination. So it technically would be my child. It would be your egg. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's a traditional surrogate. Yes. Okay. We, um, I went through a, an Illinois surrogacy agency okay. and traditional surrogacy is not allowed in Illinois. So it has to be a gestational surrogate. And that's a state law in Illinois. Yeah. Which we, we, once we got educated, we would have never done that. Anyway. In a lot of states it is, it makes the legal portion a lot less complicated. Yeah. It's cut and dry. The baby wasn't mine. It literally, it was made somewhere else. I cooked it to completion the, yeah, the, and gave it yeah. the completed product back the to The easiest way family. I explain it to everybody when they look at me sideways when we say we're a surrogate is I just say she was the oven. The ingredients were put in the oven. She was the oven. They took the finished product out and it's a, it has no, we have no, you know, that is not related to us. She was legitimately the oven to, you know, complete that process and that's it you know people always think that well how do you give that away well you know wasn't that you know how do you give your baby away it's not ours it is we do not own that you know that is not our baby right. so we know from the start that we're she's the carrier she's the vessel for this baby and at the end we give it to its parents so your sons were born you knew that you were moving you needed a bigger home and you could not fit another child Per se in the home, but you did have a uh, a calling to help, a, a calling to be a surrogate for a family that could not have a child on their own. Right. What have you always had? When when did that feeling come about? Obviously, there's always people are born always with a calling to help, either one form or another. You're just born with it. I, I truly believe that there's helpers. You're born a helper. Like I don't know if you've ever heard the Fred Rogers quote: "Always find the helper." something goes wrong and I completely misquoted it but the, the gist of it is always find a helper right I truly believe that people are born to help that they have uh, a, a drive to help in one way or another there they need to give back it's like the human calling uh, of giving giving back and paying it forward you've probably had that in your entire life correct a, a, a drive of I want to give back I want to help I mean yeah I mean, more so I knew after struggling to get Noah, it took us so long, I couldn't imagine being someone who was just told no. The answer is no. Couldn't fathom it. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't live with that feeling of, yeah. uh, of more or less that voided feeling. Right. Of, so at that point, after your, your sons were born and you knew that this was an opportunity for me to help somebody, was for, for me to give back in probably the most beautiful way ever. Is with a child. And I could do it without having to leave my own kids. Like, I still got to be home all the time. 
I got to be a full-time mom and was still able to do something big for somebody else. So how long does this discussion take between you and Josh? I mean, this is a pretty, pretty big undertaking. Well, it was... It's, and how, how would this go about? How, do you bring, how did she bring this to you? She first brought it up to me. I was... Like I a Chick-fil-A? Was, You're like, hey, uh, you going to eat that? It, By the it way. was brought up even before we had Noah, but we knew we wanted another baby. And so I wanted to guarantee that we had a second one. And so then after Noah was born, he was like a year old. I think like a typical man at first when she told me, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was just kind of like, she's not really serious. And then we had a um, meeting at the, and then a few months go by and she's like, Hey, I scheduled some meeting at the surrogate agency downtown. And I was like, well, I always said, I'll try anything once if we'll, we'll try it out. And if it's not for me, it's not for me. But it's in my head, if there's something she wants to do, who am I to tell her? No, she stood by my side, my entire career and things like that. And if this is something she wants to do to fulfill herself, how can I say no? How could I live with that if it's something she truly wants? If I tell her no, I'm going to be paying for this for the rest of my there's life. There's going to be resentment. Yeah, there's going to be right. some sort of resentment. So I have to at least go to this meeting. Mm -hmm. So I can say I went to the meeting to answer whatever questions I had. So we went to the meeting, and the meeting really answered, as it should have, every single question I could possibly have. There was a couple... You know, a couple employees of the business there, and you know they explain everything to us. And you literally, you know, once you decide you're, you know, willing to do it, um, it that snowball starts rolling, and it, it starts going fast. And you you jump on board, and things start happening. And we have doctors' appointments, and we have to meet with attorneys to draw up paperwork because there's there's legal paperwork on both sides that we have to complete, and there's psych evaluations to make sure we're not completely bat crap crazy. Yeah. And, you know, that's physicals you have to do and things like that. So it really got going fast once I gave it the thumbs up. So on the, on the paternal side of it, on, on your side of it, Josh, did they have to, did the agencies that handle this, did you have to go through a psychological evaluation and a background yourself? Yeah, we both have to. Full full psych eval, full background check. Um, you have to fill out essentially applications. Right. Including all your work history, your school history, your residential history, um, family It's history. like getting a top secret clearance. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, as you could understand, because they want to you know, do the best backgrounds possible to ensure that, you know, they have good people doing this and not just people doing it, you know, to possibly get their own baby or do something nutty, you know, once they right. become, they get pregnant. So, and then on the maternal side of it, on your side of it, Courtney, you, you went through the same process Josh did with the background and psychological eval, but then you probably you went through a full detailed physical. And when I mean detailed, it was everything underneath the hood. We're going to look yep. at all, all the engine parts and we're going to see what's going on. Yeah. And to make sure. And is all that information privy to the, uh, to the family that you're helping? Oh, yeah. Everything on both sides. Yeah. So HIPAA is thrown away. Um, we sign, well, I mean, we have to sign a consent, but when people are paying that much money, yeah, they want to make sure that their surrogate is you know, checks all the boxes and right. And so we're going to talk about, you said paying that much money. And it's another thing I wanted, we're going to, we're going to talk about a little bit as well. 
so you guys made a decision together as a couple, major decision, because you are holding life inside of you for a family. A family that unfortunately, for one reason or another, could not have a child. So you are literally being an angel and a stork, and you're, you're delivering a baby for that family. How does that, and how does that affect the, I would say the, the, the psyche of mom and dad? And the reason why I say this is because uh, my wife, obviously, I'm, you've probably you've met her or seen her. She's tall. She's got a set of shoulders on her. I'm trying to be as politically correct as possible. But she's going to hear this and she's going to slap me no matter what I say <laughs> and how I say it. She's a, she's a big framed lady. She's beautiful. I married her because she's beautiful. I'm trying to check all the boxes. And Courtney's just smiling at me, giving me the nod. Like, she definitely keep it going. Settled. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I definitely. We, we both are in the same, yeah. same group. She outkicked her coverage with me. I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, her doctor brought that up to her as well because she, flat out, she, I remember she saying it, you hold babies very, very well. Have you ever thought about a surrogate, becoming a surrogate? She goes, you can have babies until you're 50 surprising a lot of doctors aren't about that flat out said it because of sarah's her her physical stature like when she was pregnant with kyle i didn't even know she was pregnant like when you looked at her from behind she didn't look like she had a baby with brie same thing she didn't look like she had a baby from behind but then all of a sudden she turned around it's like whoa (laughs) like who's holding three turkeys in there and that's and that's the front but then with maggie she was had a little bit of a tougher pregnancy she got Towards the end, the preeclampsia, and it was, it was tough for her with Maggie, our, our first. But she said that you can hold babies. You ever thought about it? Sarah, I don't know how she answered it. I, I, honestly, I don't remember that part of it, but I do remember when she said that because I was at that meeting. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I thought about it. I, I, as a dad, thought about it. And I asked her, I'm like, what do you think about that? And she, we talked about it today at the pool, in the pool, where because I was telling her what we were talking about tonight. And uh, she goes, "I can do it for a family member, absolutely, hands down, because right? I know them." And this is where everybody's different. Everybody's in a different situation. I told her I would have, as a father, I would have a hard time with that, because as I would bond. I remember when she was pregnant; it was like the best. It was like the most beautiful time for me as a dad. I remember it's like singing in the belly or like humming real low because I was told I have a low voice and I can't really tell it, but like you got a low voice and I would hum or, or do things that I read or, you know, and I just, I loved it. I thought it was great. And I, I would really had a hard time of her knowing that she was pregnant with a baby in her and then she would have to give it up. That would, at the time, that bothered me. That was tough. So I was talking to Josh. We were talking about this a ways ago. And he was mentioned, I remember this vividly, and, and he hit it right on the head. We are helping another family. We are, we are literally helping. This is the best gift you can give somebody is what we were doing. And it's just like hit me. I'm thinking, wow, yes, that's, that's birth. Giving, having a baby is the most natural, beautiful surprise you can have. Not winning the lottery because there's a lot of problems with that. <laughs> it's having a child. It's the most beautiful surprise ever. I, I think some people forget that the people who have babies easy – have no idea what it can do to families if it's not easy. If you have a hard time getting pregnant for a woman, it's it could destroy their lives. It can destroy your marriage. It can destroy your family. It, you know, destroy relationships. If and we've seen that. I mean, yeah, we, we know I mean, people that it's happened with. We, we've, we've all we've lived. We've all through. seen that. We've we've had our own you know 
ironic, you know, as we'll get to issues too. But, you know, that's why when all this started, I was like, how can I say no? Because it would just be selfish. You know, it would just be selfish for me to say no, because if we can help somebody, it's kind of like, you know, if you ever hear about your wife, you say your wife's driving home, she gets a flat tire on the side of the highway and some random person stops and helps her or you stop and help them. You always think, well, I hope they would do the same for me or right. my wife. You know, you kind of think of it that way. Well, I just hope, you know, us doing something like this, I would hope that if we were ever in this situation, somebody would do the same for us. You know, and, you know, not everybody is like us, but, you know, like you said, there's helpers out there and the helpers are usually your favorite people because they're usually good humans. Yeah. So. so. I did worry about the aftermath of when the baby went home because usually you have a baby and you're tired and crabby, but you have a baby. And I was nervous that when, you know, postpartum kicked in and we didn't have a baby that I was going to be a hot mess, but... I wasn't. Now, were there resources provided for you in case there was a, even though it was not genetically yours, there was no DNA in the baby of you? Correct. Did they still provide the uh, support after because your hormones are still like yeah. full baby making mode? Yeah, and you're super high risk for having postpartum. So, I mean, there were therapy sessions that you could go to if you wanted to. Um, the surrogate agency has like a support group of other surrogates that they do monthly meetings if you want to go to. I chose not to. Because you didn't feel that you needed. You didn't right. need the resource. I lucked out and I had a really good relationship with Gianna's parents. And, and Gianna is? The first girl that I carried. The first girl. Okay. Because I went back for a second round of surrogacy. Wow. All right, so let's... Wait. Did you so, not know that? <laughs> no. Gianna was born in 2014, and then Josephine, they call her Joey, she was born in 2018. So she as you could see, my, my pre-show notes that I wrote uh, are just very elaborate. And uh, I let me flip through page 10. Okay, there's... I don't have any pre-show notes. This is And this is what makes these interviews for me... And I love doing them because everybody that I'm talking to, pretty much on the most part, there's so far one person that I do not know. And I had pre-show notes I asked. But I want to keep these. It's conversational. And it's it's like we're, I mean, we're sitting in the kitchen. And, yeah. and that's what makes it comfortable. It makes it real. And I don't want to go off a script. I don't want to go off bullets that Josh gave me. I'm like, hey, write me 15 bullets. So I can ask Courtney. We're going to do 15 right. questions and get really good. Right. It's not real. It's not a real feeling. And that's the whole basis of the Unspray podcast. It's real, everyday people having real conversations. I'm learning. This is like amazing stuff for me because, one, this is a brand new topic. I've never had any conversation about surrogacy ever, besides just hearing it from Sarah's OBGYN at one of the baby meetings. And from you. Okay. And this is, I mean, this is amazing. So they, they provide resources in case that you go through any type of postpartum. Now, if, you know, as, a, as the male side of it and uneducated in this, when you are holding a baby, it's still full pregnancy. Like you're in still full pregnancy mode. You have all the lady, even though it's not your baby, you're still in baby producing mode. This is the most unscientific ways of saying this. <laughs> you mean like crazy and hormonal and? I, I did not mean crazy at all. I meant very, oh, yeah. uh, very sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah. But I'm not that. 
I'm not. I don't. I would say. But you that could. I am not that kind of person. Okay, I'm watching Josh's woman. face. Good. So he he's safe. He gave safe looks. Oh, I was like not the person who like cried over spilled milk or. Yeah, just started like crying watching the Flintstones because yeah. yeah, no, Fred Rubble was late. No. Barney Rubble, Fred Flintstone. I don't know. Yeah, you might be too young for that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't that person, but like you know, he still had to deal with me. You You're know, pregnant. Complaining that I was hot or that my feet hurt or that you know yeah. our own kids were being bad and I was tired and I was sick yeah. of chasing toddlers and. Because you had eight month old baby sitting in you, eight month of utero baby just hanging out. It's yeah. Like hey, here I am. Doctor's appointments, you know, sitters for those doctor's appointments. Meeting the setting up, meeting the baby's parents at those doctor's appointments. And how old were the boys when uh, first uh, G, is it Gianna? Gianna. Gianna. Well, Gianna just turned seven. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like that, that's how you know she's not my kid because I don't. Yeah, you don't I'm know like trying to like do yeah. the math in my head. So I think Gianna turned seven. In June. So the boys were what, three and five. Yeah. How do you explain that to the boys at mommy? Because little boys have questions. They have a lot of questions. Little little people in general, they are sponges and they observe everything. Well, and how, how does that go about explaining to the two little ones? We're, we're well, very... So Noah was only two when G was born. Yeah, Noah wasn't really... He didn't ask. But Logan asked, how'd that baby get in there? And I wow. was like, oh, this is easy. Nice. The doctor put her in there. Yeah. But then it was time for Gia to come out. And Logan asked, how is that baby going to get out? And I traumatized my five-year-old. We're, we've always been very factual parents. Very I transparent. Yeah, I yeah. believe more in just laying out the facts, even if it's hard for them to hear. You know, um, So we kind of explained to Logan from the beginning that this baby was for another family and you know, because they were unable to have their own and so on and so forth. Instead of just going with the whole like, Stork oh, a stork comes and drops off yeah. a package and la da da. You know, yeah. Why? Why even bother? You know, we. It's to me, I'd rather have the hard conversation once and get it over with. And our kid, then if somebody asks my son when he's playing with a friend or this or that, he knows the answers. And it's he doesn't look silly if he asks answers their questions and the other silly ways his parents told him. So I'd rather just be factual with the kids and they know exactly what's actually happening. You know, with Noah, he was younger, so it didn't wasn't really a thing. Noah barely even noticed she was pregnant, you know. But obviously Logan knew and, you know, Logan eventually afterwards met the baby and met the parents and we've been to their house. She's the baby's godmother. So you're very active in the life. Yeah, we've been to their house for birthday parties. She That's talks beautiful. to the parents on a regular basis. And yeah. So when Gianna was born... How do you tell Logan that? Because Logan's comprehensive. He he could understand. Like, hey, mom's going to be gone for a couple days. She's going to deliver the baby. He knew. He was at home and I went into labor. He actually got the short end of the stick that day. We were trying to go to Sky Zone. And when mom tried to get in the shower, that was the end of that. And so instead of Sky Zone, mom went to the hospital. So you ruined Sky Zone for him. We, we, were, we were, like, trying to leave the house. Moms ruined everything, don't they? Mom ruined they're everything. The, they're the killer of fun. <laughs> he got to go to Grandma and Grandpa's house. All right, well, okay, that's a good, that's a good runner-up. Yeah, that. that's a runner-up. So, I mean, my father-in-law met us at the hospital. He took the boys home with him. I went and had a baby, and I mean, our boys were able to come to the hospital. 
and if we had wanted them to, yeah. but we knew that once Gianna got home that we were going to go to their house. And so I think she was probably like four or five days old and we ended up. Yeah. When you have a baby in a hospital and you're a surrogate, it's actually a pretty good deal because you get a hospital suite for about 24 hours and there's no baby in there. And the nurses don't really come check on you because you're not hooked up to anything. So we just stayed in the hospital room for about 24 hours and <laughs> like going to an embassy suite. Hung out, mm-hmm. you know, but with Salisbury steak that's yeah, healthy. Yeah, Salisbury steak and <laughs> we, we ate juice jugs. We and... went in beforehand. We met like the social workers at the hospital. We explained what was happening. And so she went in the room with her parents. She was tagged to them. She goes on their insurance. She, once the cord is cut, I have no legal saying on anything. I couldn't get her back out of the nursery. I couldn't ask to see her. It's nothing. Done. Did you have any maternal instincts to like hold her? No. Nothing. Because you, I was you, so glad to just not be pregnant. Well, I had the worst morning sickness of my life. But I think what also helped is so obviously I've done this before. I, you know, being yeah, being there for two pregnancies, I'm, yeah. I'm very, very not that freak out parent. Very comfortable in chaos and things like that. So we had both our sons, and then the parents were there. They're in the room with us. You know, that's all. So part they of were there while you were birthing yep. the baby. Yeah. They're, because okay. you got to think about it, though. That's their baby. That's their moment. I had the option. I could have said nobody could come in the room. I could say everybody and their brother could come in the room. So both of her parents and a grandmother was in the room with us, as well as my husband and my sister. I, I felt that from the start, you lay all this out. It's a very meticulous planning because you have to have a good plan and you have to have, have a good call it a birth plan, you know, like an outline because a, the nurses need to know when you walk in, you kind of give them the paperwork and the plan because they all need to be on the same page of this redheaded woman. It's not her baby. She's actually going to give birth. She's a surrogate. And then she's going to hand it over to these parents because a lot of people have a hard time grasping that, you know, they'll come in and ask if she wants help, you know, breastfeeding and things like that, that don't apply to her anymore. So when I knew that we were going to have a what she was going to do a serious I said, I'm absolutely in the room with you. There's no chance I'm not going to be in that room. It's more or less, you were like a security guard to make sure that to buffer unnecessary contacts. Yeah, I mean, and- she's she's very good with being her own, you know, advocate, and she's very vocal yeah. when things happen. If you know, it's not exactly like, can you tell them she will handle it? You know, yeah, I'm not. So, I'm looking at her right yeah, now. No problem handling. She's but, as big as my leg, and I'm terrified. Yeah, <laughs> my, my idea was I have parents in the room who have never experienced birth. Birth. Yeah. So I'm going to be there to make sure that to help them almost to be the the person in the room to help and say, oh well, here's what they're doing now. Well, okay, well the baby's crowning, but he's going back. At, like it's fine. It's normal. That's how things happen. Or she, sorry, that's how things happen. You know, and. That was my idea is, A, to make sure my wife's okay throughout all this because there's a bunch of people in the room, but as you know, being a father, a lot of them are more focused on the baby than they are the mom. Yeah. So you want to make sure that your wife's okay and you want to be there if anything happens. And at the same time, being able to help the parents of the baby, you know, and explain processes to them because my wife may be talking to nurses or doctors or things like that. So I felt that I was a good kind of like middleman of, you know, an agent for both sides, able to kind of help out where I could. So, and that gets back to being a helper and the angelic theme of our talk. I would, what you explained, 
I, I would have never thought of that. I thought, You're you know, like, I'm, no, can I just stay out in the hall? Well, no, I, I had no not problem. My kid, not my problem. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Well, because it's such a, it's such a, uh, an experience for you, Courtney, to, to have have a baby, and and if Sarah was going through the same thing, I'm I'm there for Sarah to be here support because there's a lot going on with Sarah, and what's coming out of Sarah, the baby is not hers, and it's and it's going to be a, a new chapter, a new phase, but. Josh being there for you, but then also being there for the new dad of saying, hey, this is this is normal. This is what's going to happen. And being his coach and being the mom's coach of not being the doctor or, or, or being the, you know, not not being the, the uh, any of the medical people. He's right. doing it from real experience uh, of giving a real life approach. And that's amazing. And that's something that I, I would never even think of, you know, and what you said was it was a home run. There's a mosquito right there. There was. And. That, that's awesome. All right, so the so the baby's born. How does the insurance work for that? Like for this entire entire part. Granted that you guys help have health insurance. So does, is everything throughout this entire process is this covered by the agency or is this covered by the the medical expenses of this taking care of from the the family of the baby, the the mom and dad? Oh, the agency gets paid by the parents. Then all of the pre-pregnancy prep, the fertility specialist, the IVF, all of the meds, all of the follow-up appointments and ultrasounds, that all gets paid by the intended parents. Um, one of the reasons I was matched with my intended parents is because our health insurance does not have a surrogacy clause, which some do. It'll specifically say they will not cover the expenses for you to carry somebody else's baby. Ours does not say that. So our insurance picked up everything from positive EPT tests until I gave birth. Your insurance? Covered everything for me. And then once baby came out, she went on her parents' insurance and all of my postpartum care was still covered by our insurance. That's something that, again, I, any person would probably have no clue to even ask. How would you even find out about that? Did the agency ask, like, did they give you the the information of, hey, you know, it, it's you might want to check with your insurance for the expenses uh -huh. on this? Yeah, because sometimes an intended parent wouldn't, possibly couldn't afford to match with a surrogate whose insurance wouldn't cover it. I think at the end of the day, I think when the insurance came back, I think the bill was like, Forty thousand dollars, and I left after twenty-four hours. And so they would have had to pay that. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure hospitals give a cash price, but you know would that would have been an, an added expense of that. But where my insurance covered it, I think I had a hundred-dollar copay. So that's what they paid for me to stay at the hospital. So you you brought up earlier about pay, about there there's a there's a fee that you you get for this you you earn you earn something uh a, a financial earnings from this now this is going to lead to two parts one is that any expenses occurred up to the birth more or less you would just defer them to the agency and the yes. agency would pay it like yeah. an escrow account set up an escrow agency. so your your mileage your fuel your maternity clothes, yep. let's go that far. It's written in... How about paternity clothes? Because I'm sure Josh gained a couple <laughs> pounds during the pregnancy. <laughs> um, no, but all that is all covered. They're very detailed contracts. You 
like they'll tell you like we give you say five hundred dollars yeah. for maternity clothes. We'll give you X amount. We'll you know for his time off. How much right. does he make an hour? We'll cover up to X amount of days for him to take right. off after the baby is right. born, so he can take care yeah. of you. They covered um, like some of the appointments my kids could not attend, and so there were points where I had to pay a babysitter. They cover that. Wow, one hundred percent expense so yeah, free. It should be zero free. dollars right. for me. For you, yeah, because in, in the beginning, in the beginning, the the carrier has an attorney and the family has an attorney, and the two attorneys work together and come up with basically a contract for the entire thing. And they cut. I mean, they do this for a living, so they cover so much stuff. It'd be stuff you would never even think of, you know, like babysitter fees, things right. like that. And uh, you know, if you have to drive out of you have to drive to an appointment in Milwaukee and while you're in Milwaukee, you have to eat lunch or you have to eat dinner. You know, that's all covered because it's cost free. So this is like the first time ever attorneys are loving and fun to work with because they're dealing with something that's beautiful. Right. Wow. These attorneys are pretty incredible people. That's awesome. I'm going to ask you to raise the microphone just a little. You're going to hear a little feedback on the other end. So if you raise it up, we'll be towards you guys. Perfect. So everything's covered. Expenses are covered. You brought up the fact that, or a little earlier on, that your fee. This is this is not a pro bono. Um, explain how that how that happens, how this works, this part of it. It's not enough money. So, like, if someone was going to think, like, oh, I'll just carry a baby and make some money, it's not enough. It's not enough at all, because it literally you're pregnant for forty weeks, but it literally takes. Like six months before that, which you're not getting paid. I mean, essentially, you're not getting paid for those appointments. And then you don't start getting... The appointments to decide whether she's the right fit or not. Those okay. appointments. Um, well, even leading up to you don't get paid. Until you get a positive test. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so then, like, whatever... Certain surrogates make one amount. Other surrogates make another amount. It depends what state you're in. It depends which agency you use. It depends what you've negotiated into your contract. And then it basically goes starting at eight weeks when they can see heartbeat. And then every four weeks after that. So if something were to happen and say you were to miscarry at 20 weeks, you're cut off. It's don't, not It's not like a, it's not a lump sum no matter what. Carry. Yeah, yeah, you get monthly payments, and then there's like, there's like, you know, the last if, goal payments. Like, if you accomplish this, you get this. Payment. You're incentivized. Yeah, it sounds bad, but it, that's it's, what it is. It's, it's yeah, it's no, stages it, in the pregnancy. I would say it was say. like you get, you know, your per diem starts at eight weeks, and then say like twelve weeks, you get a separate payment for your maternity clothes. So like whatever was in the contract, say five hundred dollars, you get a deposit for that, and that's what it was for. Okay, interesting. So the baby's born. Gianna's born. Tell me about just seeing the look of joy from another family that you guys just produced the most beautiful gift possible ever for a family. Um, but you're well, going to have to get a little closer to Josh. Postpartum was a little rough. For you or for um, the parents? delivery in general yeah she was nine pounds 13 ounces and, and like i said you're she, as big as my legs so for the record was... courtney's about 125 pounds for you guys that don't know her so uh that was um, a pretty so large so we had a shoulder dystocia 
when she was born, she was horrifically bruised because apparently 10-pound baby was not supposed to well, exit where she was coming l- from. Like I said earlier about being the dad in the room, you know, who's been through it, it, it was a little chaotic at the birth. It was never chaos, but, like, it wasn't normal. It was, like, doctor had to pop shoulders out, things like that. And uh, they had to, like, pop, pop the bed down. And yeah. so I remember the one parent may have exited the room briefly because it was too much it was a little much and it was one of those things where i knew it was going to be fine and when that parent left i was like come back in because i didn't want them to miss yeah but i was just so concentrated like i'm pushing the baby out i just kept saying is she out is she she was legitimately like seeing my wife give birth to babies as you know as any father knows is i don't it's the most impressive slash attractive thing I've ever seen because it shows how strong they really are. Oh, it's it's insane. You know, because you have this dainty lady by your side. Yeah. And but then when they go into the birth room, they're like rock stars. Where me, if I picture that, I would be like, give me every single drug you have oh, and knock yes. and knock me out. Yes. Like, what are you doing? You're giving me a crown on my tooth, knock me out. Yeah, I'd be numb from the eyebrows down. Yes. <laughs> yes. I they would have to wheel me around the hospital for the next three days and I'd be perfectly yeah. happy with that. But when So not to go too far off, but it's like when that happened, you know, I knew it was fine because I could tell by the way my wife was acting. I've been around my wife enough to know when I need to start being concerned. And I was not concerned. I was completely, and the baby came out and the baby, you know, his, her face was purple. And because, you know, from the situation from being stuck and shoulders and they thought maybe they might've broke a collarbone or a shoulder, but they didn't. Everything was okay. But that happens. Yeah. But that it happens. happens. You know, yeah. and the baby's face was discolored for a while, but yeah. after about six to eight hours, the color started they coming back. They throw some O2 and she's on the oxygen. Yeah. yeah it's slowly, it. everything, you know, sometimes we didn't at first. Need that it's, much intervention. It was just literally giving birth and they realized that she was stuck. And I don't know what possessed me. I had asked for an epidural, which I was dead set on not having. Even for even for a, a surrogacy pregnancy, I could pick whatever, I, however I wanted to give birth, and so I was at the same hospital that gave birth to my second son too. I had planned to have another water birth, and when I went into that labor that morning, I knew something was wrong. And as soon as I got there, I asked for an epidural, and my sister was trying to talk me out of it. She's like, "Let's get in the tub. I'll rub your back." Her and I sister was like, no. is a longtime labor and delivery nurse, so she's been with us during every childbirth, and, and she knows the drill. Yeah. And she's like, you're fine. You don't You don't need an epidural. And I was like, if something goes wrong, I don't want to wake up and not be pregnant. If I have an epidural and I have to go back for a C-section, they won't just knock me out. I'll be awake for it. Because I still had that fear of, I don't know how I'm going to feel when this is over. Yeah. I, I mean, luckily, I came out fine on the other end, but I didn't want to take that chance. And so I got the epidural, which was... Awful, horrific. <laughs> don't we, we won't go there. I don't tolerate epidurals well. They make her sick and yeah. So okay. I got the epidural, which basically afterwards my sister had said she goes, I don't know why you knew you needed the epidural, but if you wouldn't have gotten it, she wouldn't have been able to adjust the baby for her to get out, and she probably would have died. Oh my! Which Lord. of course, you know, my sister doesn't tell me until after. Yeah. It's like an, oh, by the way. Yeah. But like my sister was calm and because she was calm and she knew what she was doing because she literally delivered hundreds of babies. Yeah. She's seen it all. To keep me calm. And so then after like she was out and I realized that Brandon is out in the hallway, Gianna's dad. And I was like, 
Oh, get him out of the room. I'm like, they're I'm like, like, no, no, no. he no. left. Don't he yell. sprinted out the door. I'm like yelling at nurses and I'm like, yeah. where is Brandon? Wow. He was panicking in the hallway. So that was baby one. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. How long did the wait for baby two come? And did you guys try on your own to have your own child? Because that was the plan. The plan was mm -hmm. to do a surrogacy and then to have your own child. I got Clarence to get pregnant at my eight-week checkup. And so we were trying for number three. But because I had already had the diagnosis of low egg count and quality, after six months, we did three rounds of IUI, and that failed. I'll, I'll explain what IOI is. IUI. IUI. Interuterine insemination. Okay, so it's not like a DUI. No. Okay, so it's an IUI. I'm not, I'm not, we're not that exciting, no. <laughs> so we did three rounds of that, and they all failed. We did a round of IVF. I got pregnant and lost a little boy. Which IVF is? Uh -oh. Make a baby in a petri dish. In, in, what's in vitro. In vitro, yeah. okay. Um, in vitro fertilization. Right. That's the term, okay. Um, so we got pregnant with a little boy. We lost him. I did another egg retrieval. There were no viable eggs. We did another egg retrieval. There were no viable eggs. So does the does do women produce eggs? Because what I understood, again, this is... I probably failed biology and all the other science classes <laughs> you you have so many eggs in the bank or do you yeah, produce no. eggs so, so you, you have so many in you and that's it right and so you should ovulate like one egg a month which is why you have your cycle okay but when you do IVF they give you a ton of hormones and you should produce tons of eggs that month so they can pull them all out so hence why there's usually multiple births. Like there's there's twins, triplets yeah. during IVF procedures because right. of multiple eggs are dropping. Well, Maybe that's not the right term. There's multiple eggs being produced. Yes. Okay. Kind of, yes, ish. But so we had no more viable eggs. So they told us no. So we did a round with an egg donor and the doctor pulled her eggs too soon. And none of them were viable. Explain around with an egg donor. So you you chose somebody similar to like what you were doing. You were using their eggs and Josh's swimmers. My, my sister. Your your my sister. My sister, who was in the delivery room with us, agreed to do it. So you you literally come from just like a whole entire family of helpers of angels. I don't think my sister would have done it for anybody in the whole it's, world it's, ever. But, but it's but <laughs> it's like a whole other <laughs> yes. show in its own. Like, but yeah. it, it's coming from her sister, who like I said was involved in thousands of childbirths and who's now a nurse practitioner, you know, she's a helper too. And so at this point, like if this was a live TV show, I'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, Courtney's sister. And she would walk out of the living room. Is she going to come in the come out of the living room oh, when she no, sits she's down? currently in Mexico with yeah. her daughter. <laughs> wow. So, so that, that was attempted and, and that didn't happen. Nope. And so you're just out that money. And so we did one more round. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is a point. That was at completely our cost, and you're yeah. talking five figures to get that done. Wow. It's not like you pay a couple hundred bucks to work on all that. That's completely out of our pocket. Thousands so, of dollars. Uh, over $10,000. Yeah. Dollars. Wow. Because then you have to... And you're playing the lottery. You're attorneys, hoping it might work. Like when I had said with the surrogacy, yeah. there's attorneys in place, and there's all of the paperwork 
has to get done. Even though it's her sister, and legally you still have to do all that. You still have work. to do it. Awesome. Then I had like all of her. No, all I'm her, like using my hands. All of her meds and stuff that to be able to get her yeah. eggs out, we have to pay cash for that. So, so much wow. money. That's amazing. So then that failed. I changed doctors. I tried to do one more egg cycle. Even though she didn't want to. So egg cycle mean that you were giving uh, trying to get eggs out to, so to we produce could eggs. Do a round of IVF. Okay, right. Um, before my sister went in, I told him she had started meds, and I told him we should not do this. I am telling you that I had a dream that another woman is giving birth to our child, and it is not me. And he looked at me like I was bat poop crazy. And he said, your sister has already started meds. We're going through with this. She, Knock it off. It'll be fine. She's always, and I'm not trying to, this is a whole different type of podcast, but she's always <laughs> had like, she's always had like a premonition style mind of being able to know the results of things before they happen. And, and her gut has always been correct. I'm going to be bad poop crazy too. I have dreams like that as well. And it's it, it freaks me out. It's, I don't and, know. It seems like almost like, I I knew certain events. I knew certain events were going to happen before they happened, and it freaked me out for like four or five different. It feels like deja vu because you know exactly. You're like, this guy's about to walk into the room, and he walks in the room, and but you can't like tell anybody that, but you know in your head, no. Yeah. So she did. She reached out to me and told me this, and I was like, well, the way I saw it is, we have to try it. We've already gone this far. We have to try it. So when I was at the, it was only me and her sister at the doctor's appointment. She couldn't go. Because only it was a essentially an outpatient surgery, and when I, we found out that there was no viable eggs, I was like, I have to call my wife and tell her this. Like when I call her, she's like, yeah, I know, I know. And you I knew like, it. Um, I mean, the same thing happened when we did the first round of IVF. We had two viable eggs, and I was like, This isn't going to be the time. No, but I got pregnant. And he wow. thought I was crazy because the one day he came home and I was sorting through the bins of baby clothes and I was selling everything. And he was like, what are you doing? You had that feeling. That and I was like, it's not, I, I just don't think it's a viable pregnancy. And then when we went to the appointment and the baby didn't have a heartbeat, I like didn't even cry. And he's just like waiting for me to explode. And I was like, I, I told you, I told you that we weren't supposed to keep trying. And so... Then we decided to foster. To foster. And let's get into that in one second. You know who has the best pizza in Chicago? It's Plermo's 63rd Street. Plermo's authentic Italian food made with quality ingredients and unique sauces has attracted vast attention and praise for their sweet, distinctive qualities. Plermo's 63rd Pizza has been recognized nationally as Chicago's best. Plermo's 63rd Street now has three locations to better serve its customers. The original location, 63rd and Hamlin in the city of Chicago. Plermo's 63rd in Frankfurt at 446 South LaGrange Road. And Plermo's of 63rd in Maryville, Indiana, 2893 East 81st Avenue. Visit Plermo's 63rd to get all three locations numbers at www.plermosof63rd.com. When you call and order that pizza, tell them Kyle sent you. I would like to thank our special show contributors, specifically Mr. and Mrs. Robert and Amy Parsons. They like and believe in the Inspirate mission and contributed to our show. 
I am beyond grateful for their support and generosity by supporting Unsprayed Podcast. If you like and what you listen to as well, you believe in our mission, and you want to sponsor or contribute to our show, please visit us at unsprayed.com and click on Support the Unsprayed Podcast or Sponsors. All right, we're back. So we what we ended up we ended with was uh, you guys attempted uh, a couple different times. Your sister's an angel as well for helping you guys, and then you decided to foster. And did I get that correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. So you guys made a decision to to foster little ones. How does that go about? And you guys will be the second individuals, second group couple that I have ever known to foster. The first was our babysitter when we were kids moving right into Orland Hills. Her name was Lillian uh, Jarowski, I think her last name was, a big Polish last name. But we're, we called her Grandma Lil, Grandma Lillian. And Grandma Lil watched pretty much half of Orland Hills kids. <laughs> she was a the most beautiful lady. Uh, a big Polish lady, like you would like Mrs. Outfire, but just loving old school, uh, a grandma to pretty much her entire neighborhood. And everyone knew her as Grandma Lil. She had such a lasting impression that I believe she might have been the first or second name that we put into the tribute, the tribute tree uh, because she affected that many lives. She, she received an award from the sheriff, the state, uh, for being a foster, being a foster mom hmm. to... And un, like an ungodly amount of children she helped. And it, she was one of the most beautiful ladies. So you guys are number two. I'm going to combine you as one. So you guys are number two of uh, individuals that I've met for, that have fostered. How would, how would one go about being a, a foster parent? How, how does that work? How did that work with you two of making the decision to, to do another, just a beautiful selfless act of, of giving giving opportunity to to someone to a, a loving life that might not have a different road might have a different road how, how would that come about i don't know we knew we wanted more kids and so he never really says no to me <laughs> i understand why i wouldn't say no either <laughs> um, so well, I mean, for me it goes the same with the surrogacy how how am i gonna if it's something she's interested in something she's passionate about you know it'd be the same as if she picked a career and if i say no you know is she going to be you know have that to hold against me for the rest of our lives you know i would never want to tell her no you know reasonably you know um if it's something that could be done why not give it a shot and at least start the process and see if it's for us or not we have to take classes and stuff so we went to the first two classes and then like we reevaluated and talked about it again and the classes are legitimately like how to be a parent it's pretty wild you go to these classes and they it's legitimately 101 parenting 101 it's stuff that any parent knows you know but you got to remember anybody almost anybody with some restrictions can be a foster parent as long as you take these classes and it's things like you know make sure you don't let your child play by open fires you know stuff like that don't touch electrical sockets yeah it's legitimately some of that stuff's covered so is this also like a screening to see it's like a like a nonchalant screening to see like you know we're not going to put a child with you because 
you want to play with do, hot matches well, and sparklers. Well, we had to do background checks and stuff. Yeah, too. we had to do fingerprints and background checks, and basically, right. if you could pass. And how how who would you contact for that? How well, how we, did that go about? Well, we did it through DCFS. We did it through the state. Okay. Otherwise, there's agencies. Um, Private agencies. Some of the local ones around here, Benchmark, and then you would do your classes through them, and they're basically just like a third party, like liaison between you and the state. Okay. We chose not to use an agency, basically because we were told with the age group we wanted, was zero to two, that DCS places with their in-house foster families first, and then if they can't find somebody, then they start contacting the agencies for them to find, you know, to, to utilize. outsource. Right. And so we figured our best chance of placement would be if we stuck with DCS. And it did work out in our favor. So you, you move forward with this. You're, it, this is best for the family. Now the boys are, say, seven and five? Four and seven. Four and seven. So now they, they would be, they understand, they, they are knowledgeable that mom and dad are helpers, and we help out other people that, that don't have opportunities like we have. They understand that at the most foundational level of childhood. They understand that mom and dad help people. And I help people being a big brother or being a big brother to the baby in the belly or, or whatever. Now it's time to adopt. A little different than having a baby in you that you don't see. Now you have a baby that we do see. How do you explain that to two little guys that uh, are watching, you know, uh, Thomas the Tank Engine, if that's even a thing, or watching, watching children's shows? And how do you explain that to a, 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 young, a young child that now we're going to have a, a, a live baby that's not in mom? And... Uh, we're going to help. We're going to help out the child for a, another family. I mean, we just told them that we had extra bedrooms and space in the car and enough toys and enough food that other people could stay at our house, and we would still have all of the things that we already had. But then that baby would also have all of those things too, and they were both like, "Okay." Our boys are so easygoing, and I always said that our kids. You know, before they were 10 are probably better rounded than most adults are with their life experiences. So I think, you know, even though we are doing something, our boys are also doing something because they're very well rounded and educated on all these different aspects of life, not just, you know, being the number one player in Fortnite. You know, they're, they've experienced. They're the number one player in life. They've experienced all these things yeah. and, you know, and. Our boys were rock stars from the start, so that's that's just that's so awesome. It's so awesome. So you contact DCFS or DFS, or depending on what, what whatever we're in state. Indiana, so it's called DCS. Okay, in so Illinois, it's a family DCFS, services. Right. It's a state family services agency. You tell them, hey, we're ready. Let's help. How are we going to be able to help? Okay. So then, then what happens? Well, you felt like a honestly, you felt like a survey of. What kind of children you're willing to take, you know? But what do you mean? What kind of children? So what I mean by that is you fill out, you know, ages, sex, um, background, race, race. If you'll take special needs. If you'll take special needs. If you'll take um, handicapped. You know, all these different things. You could. I mean, it's essentially a checklist of what you're willing to take. 
and what they do is they try and that goes into their system and then when they get a child they look at their system and they say who's willing to take this child and then they go by almost like seniority you know like if you've been a foster parent for two years and i've been a foster parent for two months and you haven't had a placement yet the two-year person would get it first you know, they have the experience they have the time and right the experience so ours was pretty open i mean we we didn't care about race we didn't care about did we check I asked for under two. Did we check for girls? Um, I don't remember. I had said that we would take either, but like joking with our licensing agent, I was like, I really want a little girl, but if she comes with a sibling, I'll take a boy. And she was like, okay. We knew we wanted one, but we said maybe two. We said said one or a sibling set. Okay. That, That was our thing. Because siblings, they always try and keep the siblings together. Absolutely. So you, you fill you fill out the uh, the questionnaire to, to more or less let them know what what you're capable of what yeah. what your capabilities are with housing with needs like if you have a special need child that needs uh, ramp assistance and you right. live in a 16 story home eh, we're gonna have right. to make some modifications right. it's right. not like highly likely of doing it so you fill this out D, DFS calls you and they're like hey Courtney it's Jack with DFS. We're gonna be buying about twenty minutes. <laughs> how how does that go? What, what how does get, that work? We got licensed on a when on a Monday, and they called us on Wednesday. So our licensing agent called, and she said, "I have a little squishy baby for you. I got a six-week-old girl. A, a squishy, a baby. squishy. Because I said I want the smallest, tiniest little squishy thing you can find me." So what she said. And she put that in her yeah. notes. <laughs> Courtney like, wants a squishy baby. She was joking. She called back and she's like, we have a six-month-old little girl. And I was like, okay. <coughs> and she's like, but she comes with an 11-month-old sister. And I'm like, an 11-year-old sister? She's like, no, an 11-month-old sister. And I'm like, Do you, so they have the same dad? And she's like, no, they have the same parents. And I'm like, and she's like, I don't know how you get the math, but they're full biological sisters, and one is six weeks old and one is eleven months old. That's Irish what I'm twins. telling you. So True Irish like, twins. There's forty six weeks between them. And okay. so Josh was outside in the driveway playing not, with the boys. I, I'm not really good at math, but I guess I didn't even realize that was possible. That's like <laughs> I mean, that is like the second mom gets home, you know. I mean Yeah. It is what it is. All right, so... I go out into the driveway, and I was like, hey, so Linda's on the phone. You know, she has... Oh, she got a baby. A squishy baby. A little little squishy. She's six weeks old. And he's like, okay, so what are you asking? And I was like, but she has an 11-month-old sister. And he was like, do you know that I go to work for, like, 50 hours a week, right? Like, I'm, I'm leaving. And we have two kids here. And so you can say yes. But I'm just letting you know, like, I have to go to work. It's not just one baby who lays there. It's also an 11-month-old. It's two babies because technically under 12, it's a baby. It's, it's not a, a toddler. Yeah. Under 12 months old, it's a baby. So I had a newborn, a 1-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 7-year-old. One day I left for work at 7 a.m., and I got pictures of my two daughters showing up at my house at about 10 a.m. So you weren't even home. I wasn't even home. You were at um, work. I, we, That's how fast this. No, the, no. So well, we took a short. We took a short road trip. We went up to Michigan, and when we were driving to Michigan, they called us about these babies. They 
they essentially said that these babies would be placed with us, like guaranteed. And we said, okay, the babies, to make a long story short, stayed with another family for a couple days while we were on this. This was like a road trip. It was like a family reunion road trip. It had to happen. We couldn't just cancel. So we said, yes, we're in, but we have to take this road trip. We'll be back Saturday, Friday night. So they would bring the babies Saturday morning. I went back to work at 7 a.m. Saturday morning. So I left for work at 7 a.m. She knew the babies were coming. I think you had my parents come over. Mm-hmm. My parents came over. So my parents met my daughters before I did. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to. Hold on a minute. I, so I remember having having my little ones. And again, they're unannounced. Just sort of, I mean, more or less, the, the two squishy babies come in. We're, we're going to be, they're pretty much unannounced. You didn't have, you had an idea that well, something was we happening. Knew four days that they were coming and I was only prepared for one baby. But you're out of town for three of the four days. Uh-huh. So I had to scramble and ask like my mom friends. I was like, um, I know I'm getting a newborn, an 11 month old. I only have pretty much newborn and three month old clothes. But picture having a baby coming, but you have no idea what size that baby's going to be. You have no idea what things they like. You have no idea what their style is. You have no idea. You don't know anything. It's, know it's blind. It's completely blind. We knew we got photos. You knew a baby was coming, we but got, you had no clue about knew, anything else. We knew the race, and we knew the sex, and we knew their age, and that was it. And so when we left to go to Michigan, my girlfriend's, went through our mom's group and started dumping laundry and baby supplies and more bottles in my garage. And my next door neighbor started coming over and doing laundry so everything would be clean when we got home. And then- What about like a second crib? Second of everything. The day before we left, I picked up the day, I think the morning that we left, I ran to my girlfriend's house and she had a crib that they were done with. I was like, I don't know that we're going to need it immediately because the baby can literally sleep anywhere. Right. But. Like, so it was like when you guys came home, it was like Ty Pennington was sitting in front of your house with like a baby truck and you guys were like, move that truck. And then you had a full. My all, puked baby and stuff. And just yeah. puked baby stuff. But now he did a puke baby stuff. By the way, there's two babies coming in like 15 minutes uh-huh. as well. And it was that fast. Yeah. So we literally got home, I think at like 10 p.m. And then the babies got to my house at like 10 a.m. Wow. Wow. So Josh was... They they come with nothing. They come with... The clothes that they have on and a diaper. And maybe a really bad car seat, and that's about it. And obviously they they had to tell you, like, if they were, like, on soy formula or they were on different types of formulas. They don't know. Whatever. So whatever the foster family was who had them while we were gone, basically I just had to go from her notes. But she went in completely blind. Well, because our babies were, I mean, essentially an emergency placement. Right. Emergency placement. So you don't exactly have time to sit with the can interview. Yeah. And get a background because sometimes they're upset. Sometimes they're not happy with the situation. They're right. not exactly going to be cooperative. Things like that. So. A lot of times when people get emergency placements, you literally learn the child when you get the child. So it's having, it's almost having a newborn, but the newborn's coming out at 11 months old right. and six mm-hmm. weeks old. But right. it's a newborn. We're yeah. going to figure everything out. Right. It's a newborn 11 month old. 
and you go from there. You literally start day one, page one, just like a newborn. It's we're going to learn what works and, and what you doesn't. Can't even get their medical history. Wow. So you, again, a newborn. So you don't even know realistically about allergies or bad reactions in the past or any things that happen at birth or any things that the babies were being treated for. You don't know any of that. Any of that. Like yeah. they don't yeah. tell you like we had dogs and I was like, well, here's you have hope a dog allergy. Here's hope and nobody's yeah. allergic to dogs. Cause... Wow. So babies arrive. You got sisters. It just showed up and you're just tickled pink because you got you you're you're hoping for one baby girl that you could foster and you were blessed with two baby girls that you could foster that are literally baby girls but 10 months apart the boys mom we've got baby girls here look at this what were the little guy's reactions to hey it's we were talking about this now it's here totally unfazed from day one, like Can I said. Can we start. go to Grandma's house? Yeah, I mean. What's for lunch? <laughs> Can we have two handfuls of blueberries? They, just, <laughs> yeah. they were just, our youngest son was pumped to be an older brother. What started as, you know, what started as babysitting quickly showed that it wasn't going to be babysitting. You know, they as they stayed day after day, week after week, month after month. You know, our oldest was pumped to be the older brother role when he was always the youngest brother, you know. And our oldest son was just, they were always great, our kids. I was very worried that our sons might be jealous that they're, that the girls were getting their attention or that the girls just showed up one day and took over the family and our lives changed. Our boys were potty trained, good to go. All of a sudden we're doing diapers again. It changes where you can go, what you can do, activities you can participate in. You know, it changes everything. So I was very worried that our boys were going to have animosity towards the girls and that never, ever, to this day, never was a even a topic. And that was, you know, my overthinking brain. I'm, I'm cursed with an overthinking brain. And I thought about all those things and worried, you know, am I screwing my kids up? Am I bringing these girls into my house? Am I going to make my boys bitter and, and mad at them and make them not be happy with these girls? But that was... N- farthest from the truth how do you talk to the boys about possibly the girls are going to have to leave us when when they start getting attached as being older brothers how does that how does that conversation go about or did you even have that conversation i think we made sure to establish that it was temporary from the start until we even though when our caseworker called she basically told us there was a good chance they weren't going to need to leave um but we knew for the boys' sake that we needed to just keep telling them that they're here until they aren't. We keep them safe and warm and loved and until they can go home. And when they can go home, they'll go home. And if not, they'll just stay here and we'll keep doing what we need to do. So they were, they were conditioned for it. They, they were... We prepared for the worst. You you prepared for the worst. I mean, it's not really the worst, but it's, I mean, you're prepared for the situation of we're going to have to say goodbye to these little girls. Right. And they're going to go to a forever home or they're going to whatever the case is. So the two little squishy, beautiful babies show up. Now we have gone from a beautiful home of four to a beautiful home of six. Two boys, two girls, divide and conquer. We have two babies and two little dudes that are pretty much could pull their own cereal and now are 
maybe not. I don't All even right. know if they can still do it now. No, the, the <laughs> amount of blueberries that dude took, your yeah. little guy, yeah, he, he wasn't struggling for the food. <laughs> that was pretty good. So you don't know the time frame of the, your, your daughters going to show up because you, they're your foster children. They're your daughters, right? Daughters, sons, and that's how you address it because they're a member of your family. There is no timeline now of how long you're going to foster these the sisters, these little girls. Do they prep you for saying, hey, you know what? They're probably going to be with you for a couple months. They're going to be with you for a couple weeks. The They're only, going to be with you for this amount of time. How does that the work? Only, the only way we really got a timeline was by talking to other people, people who experienced it. DCS is, I would say nationwide, is a very slow moving, you know. Her DCS standards... The children are supposed to have a plan of permanency after 15 months. And so if they cannot, if another family member or their birth parents don't follow the plan and the plan is for them to go home by 15 months, they're supposed to file for termination and then figure out what the permanent plan is. Termination of the birth parental rights. Okay. And so at that point, it would either be they get adopted by the foster family that they're with, or there are some foster families who don't adopt, and they would move them to a pre-adoptive family. But 15 months, it doesn't ever happen in Indiana. Is it, is it longer or shorter? Oh. Um, so our daughters have an older biological sister, and it took almost five years for her parents to finalize her adoption. Five years. And so the only reason our adoption only took two and a half years is because we ended up lumped in the older sister's court case. Okay, so you said adoption. And so we, I think we might have, I'm gonna, I want to piece all this together. Your adoption happened. So we got probably, we got a couple month void or maybe a couple year void here <laughs> that we, I need to fill in because I'm trying to connect these dots. So the two little squishy, beautiful girls were here. And now we have a um, we have a situation where they could be here up to 15 months until the finalization of their adoptive parents. It could take anywhere between 10 months and five years, just based off of the conversations you've had within the network of the foster families. They're supposed to give the birth parents 15 months to do what they need to do. Okay, so at any time in that 15 months, the birth parents could be able to take their biological children back if they met the requirements met the requirements and you had no clue of when that could happen no so if if uh biological parent a and biological parent b fit the requirements on friday at 8 p.m they have their certification or whatever process at 801 they the DCFS or DSF, whatever the state agency is, they can be like, knock, knock, knock. Uh, Courtney and Josh, hey, we're going to have to take a little cute baby squishy one and quick baby, cute baby squishy two. And it's that fast like that. I mean, it could be depending on which judge you got put in front of. Because we, Usually... we, we have monthly court dates for status hearings. And so... As I mean, a foster parent. Yes. Okay. That we foster were allowed... parent, fostering agency... To attend. Uh, an agent for the parents, things like that. Wow. And I mean, you say if the parents do it, but also when a baby is in foster care, if 
a family member meets the requirements, that family member could essentially apply and they will trump you. So if say, say your kids are in foster care and your, your dad, so their grandpa decides he wants to get those kids, if he meets the requirements, he can apply and, and they will pull them. those kids from the foster family, even if they've been with that foster family for 12 months and that grandpa has never had a relationship with those kids, because he's a relative, they will pull those kids from the foster because family. Because he's biological. Because he's biological. Okay. Wow. Even if he's never met them in his life. Wow. That's powerful. All right. So you brought up, you said adoption, your adoption process. How long were you fostering the two beautiful squishy babies? I love how you say squishy. I keep saying that. Um, from the time they were placed with us until adoption was two years, two and a half. Wow. So you were, you were fortunate, lucky, blessed enough to adopt. Yes. Two little girls. Sisters. Yep. Amazing. When, when did you know that this was going to happen? When did you know that we could start moving towards this goal of this is your forever home, girls? Well, it was a little bit different with us because our daughters have an older sister who was already in care. And so What does that mean, in care? She was in foster care. Okay. And so when their older sister was born, she was put in, placed in foster care at six weeks old. And then when you have another baby, you don't automatically lose it. Even if the state has custody of one of your other children. It's it, not how it works it gets, in Indiana. Your history gets almost reset every time. You get another chance. You have to have a reason to lose the next baby. So, which is why our oldest daughter was 11 months old. She was able to keep it together long enough. And basically, until our second daughter was born, things spiraled. She probably had postpartum. And so then the state came for the 11-month-old right. and six-week-old. Amazing. So the you, you provided an angelic act for giving birth to your two sons. Then you spread your wings even more and you gave opportunity to a surrogate family. Now you've spread your wings even more and you've adopted two beautiful girls. Two surrogate families. Two, wait, 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 hold on. Wait. So, oh, wait, no, you're, you're still on the right timeline. Yeah, I'm on the same time. Like, wait a second. Where did like, I, on, where did I jump? One. I knew I got hit yeah, in the head yeah. in football okay, a lot, right. but Fair I enough. sort of remember this whole. Yeah. So you're now you've, you've, you've affected two separate families now. You, 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 you've made two little girls, one, in your home, in your family. You, you gave life to another family that didn't have the opportunity and you got two awesome dudes that were that were born two and four years before that before you were able to help the family as a surrogate this is your heart says this is expected of me to act this way i have to do this this is your calling you shrug your shoulders i don't it's, know it's just what it, what it's I, what you do just is what it is it's and that is the most beautiful response it is what it is. It's something that I've known since the day we met that she was destined to be an amazing mother. Just you could, 
she was before we met she was always she was not babysitting she was nannying for families like staying there like being there five days a week you know consecutive right. day throughout the daycare she had you know one of the kids that she would take care of i mean the mom would be gone for days at a time and she would take care of this child at 16 17 years old you know so it was very clear to me that one thing i knew about my wife is she was destined to be a mother and it was even she even said to me when we started dating you know i i wasn't interested in kids at first when we started dating i was all career i was a young guy with a pretty good job and a job that I loved and I was set. I was good. I, I, I didn't need kids. I mean, at first I was young. I was 19, 20 years old. I didn't really think about, I thought about right now. I didn't really think about later. And when I met her, she had a uh, two-year-old, three-year-old niece and I fell in love with her. And this little girl was, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed beauty who swept me off my feet. You know, I fell in love with her aunt and then I fell in love with her just as quick. And I, was, and I was like, yeah, I'm ready to have kids because if I get what my niece is, you know, my niece is now 17 years old and running around wild child. But, you know, if I get to have somebody like my niece who swept me off my feet, then, you know, I'm in. So I, that was one of the parameters for us to keep dating was that for us to get more serious and get engaged is that I have to be willing to I literally to told him kids. we were together for like six weeks and he's like, I'm going to marry you. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then like, he just kept saying it and probably like at six months, he was like, yeah, I'm going to marry you. And I was like, okay, so we should probably have this conversation. Like, we can <laughs> yeah. negotiate a lot of things like where we're going to live, what kind of car we're going to drive, but I want kids. And if you don't want kids, we should just break up. Which is good. I mean, that's good. Oh, absolutely. That Lay it on the table. Right. So, I mean, you guys got to be on the same path the entire way. Yeah. It's, it's one road. It's it's not we're gonna you know go our own roads and we'll every now and we'll meet up and give. Well, a thumbs I think up. he thought I was crazy because we. You got... were bad poop crazy then too. Uh huh. Well, <laughs> I'm really bad poop crazy. We got married before I was 21, yeah. so. It, it was wow. just surprising because a lot of younger couples, you know, that they don't they're not thinking about that yet. It's more or less like let's have a blast, let's get married and live some life, and then we'll talk about kids eventually. She knew she wanted kids. I mean, we were married without kids from august to december that's it you know and then december she got pregnant and started the ball rolling so i mean there's some couples out there who go years or forever and never have kids and they're completely happy with that but you know circling all the way back to you know the type of person she is i just, she's always been that insanely great caregiver and motherly figure and that's just who she's always been. So, and I'm sure she could say the same exact for you about fatherly figure and care. I mean, literally, it's the same. It's it's parallel for her. It is for you for the father side, to to be together, to be a teammate, and as one during every bit of these miracles you've provided for your home and for other people's homes. It's just it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing, and I, I'm just tickled pink that the story. And you guys don't see this as uh, uh, just an inspirational story. An inspirational story. It, it's it's just beautiful. It, it's we've been talking now for one hour and twenty five minutes, and it literally seems like a snap of a finger. This is uh, amazing. So you adopt. You you have beautiful daughters now. And by the way, Josh, I want to become a surrogate again. How does that come about? Where where? How, how is that introduced after after having 
uh, how many months were it was the adoption process again? Or the fostering process? I we're still was... The, we're still in the process? I was horrifically pregnant at the girls' adoption hearing. Like horrifically pregnant? Like you're about to pop? Um, or did you have complications? About, about no. Six. Like, so the second baby was born in July and our adoption finalized in May that year. So you made the decision while fostering... <laughs> <laughs> you are bad crew crazy. So you, so you, you had you we had, have enough going on. We need no, you need, need more. a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why not? Why put more? I on love when plate? people tell me they're overwhelmed. It makes me laugh out loud. Yeah, and you when do they like have a like smile, one baby, and they can barely hang. I'm like, you have no idea. You give that so, talk show host smile, yeah, like, like mm-hmm, sure, well, had right? A, a two year old, a three year old, a seven year old, and a nine year old when I got pregnant yeah. with the last surrogate. So to put this timeline together that the two squishy babies were here as as fostering children. You were fostering the children. You made the decision, or when were you given the opportunity to make the decision to adopt? Um, we knew before Christmas that year that it was going through. And so... Yeah, I mean, like she said, like three we, years we, ago. we always knew it was a possibility, but... When did it become reality? Reality was around Christmas... When? The Christmas before, so six months before, you like know, where they, we like really they... knew it was going that direction, even okay. by the court, because the court makes all this, all the decisions. Right. The agency doesn't, DCS doesn't. It's up to one man who sits in a black robe in front of a room. Well, we knew it was going to happen because our parents decided to sign the paperwork because they knew that they just they couldn't, and so okay. separately they each made the adult decision. They didn't want their kids to sit in foster care. And so they knew if they signed the paperwork, it would speed things up. And then we could legally adopt their kids would be secure legally with us and not dangling, Mm -hmm. you know, in in the foster system. Yes. So December, this, this decision was made by your family that we're going to have a bigger family now. What a Christmas gift that is. And then did you have the idea of, by the way, I was, already, I was already pregnant. You're already <laughs> pregnant. Yeah. So you were already fostering the, your daughters. And then, by the way, Josh, I'm, we're going to do this again. And how did that come about? I mean, you, your hands are full. You've got two little guys running around. You've got two babies crawling around, scooting around. I think, I think in conversation she knew that she was a really good candidate to do it again because the first one went really well. And she knew that she would be a, how do you say it, like... So I felt really guilty. I knew what it was to struggle. We did three rounds of IUI. We did IVF. I've lost a baby. I knew... You've been through the entire spectrum. Yeah. From from the best case scenario to the worst case scenario. Yeah. Okay. And so I felt like I have a working uterus and gestational surrogates don't need their eggs, which is why I'm infertile. Why wouldn't I? I needed someone else to give birth to my children for me to complete my family. And I felt like, why wouldn't I use what I can to better somebody else? I needed somebody's help. And now if I have the opportunity to help somebody else. So really the second time I felt was a bigger 
like emotional pull to do it. A bigger calling. Yeah. It was bigger than you. This is what you were called to do. Well, I mean, I think that's really the only way you agree to do that with yeah. four small kids running around your house. So four small kids, the new family, same process as before of what you went through when you did your first uh, gestational surrogacy. Did I say that right? Yeah. So that was after you did your first gestational surrogacy. Same exact process, same exact plan. It was supposed to be the same process and the same plan. It was not. And w when did this detour to a different plan and a different process? Um, at, I think, 14 weeks, we were in the doctor's office and we could not find baby's heartbeat. Or is it 16 weeks? Couldn't find the baby's heartbeat. So I ended up having to go to a different part of the hospital for a different type of ultrasound. And then they realized that she probably had a heart defect because baby's heart rates should be horrifically high. And I run horrifically low and she was matching me and baby should not be there, which is why they thought they could not find her heartbeat. They thought it was mine. At 14 weeks. It's 16 weeks. 16 weeks. Wow. And so from there on out, instead of it being appointments once a month, it turned into appointments once a week. And you were high risk, considered a high risk. And yeah. Some of those appointments were out of state, going to see different specialists and things like that. Out of state, I meant out we of having Illinois to, like, and drive out, out of to, like, yeah. out of the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it was, it was, there was just a lot more appointments than a normal pregnancy would have because it wasn't a normal pregnancy. It was a high risk pregnancy and yeah. with a, a serious heart issue and... You know, so we just had to do a little more than a lot more than we had to do. Instead of the status quo of yeah. what you would expect the typical pregnancy right. would be, now now we're going to kick it up a notch. I couldn't deliver with the midwife I wanted. You had to go to a specialist. No, um, I was able to still pick my doctor, but my midwife, I needed to be able to deliver at Christ in Oak Lawn to have... And explain to... We, we actually have people from India that listen to the podcast. We uh -huh. had six people the last time I checked. So explain what Christ For Hospital reason. is. Well, and, Christ and Hope is like... And what's Hope? The children's version. So it's a children's special it. specialty yeah. hospital. A, they have like the best neonatal staff okay. in the state of Illinois, and I had to give birth in Illinois. With the most resources. Okay. So you went to literally the Rolls Royce of yes. children hospitals to have babies at, Yes. which is Christ Hospital. And it, I lucked out because the OB who delivers at Little Company, where I wanted to give birth at. And which has, is right down the street from Christ. Yes, has rights at Christ. So even though I wanted the midwife, I didn't get to take her, but I did get to take the OB, who I have seen for other yeah, things, so I didn't have already. to go in blind. So there was a relationship there. Yeah. Wow. That, this, is, this is just getting really intense. So you, <laughs> so you have a now a two-year-old, a one-year-old, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, or nine and seven. Yeah, nine. You have four under ten. Yeah. In the mm -hmm. home, and now the two-year-old, she's probably getting sharp. She's like, "Mom, hey, what's going on in that belly?" Was she starting to notice or ask questions? Granted, two-year-olds are curious in their own ways, or she was just like in her Our own world and watched is... Dora the Explorer. Well, she's a little bit developed. She's developmentally okay. delayed. Okay. So she's probably about a year behind. Yeah. And so I don't think either of the girls ever. It didn't phase them. Neither. No. no. Four under 10. 
you have a high-risk pregnancy going on, you're giving the opportunity of life again for the uh, opportunity of family for the third and fourth time. So I'm going to count the, the girls, your daughters, two opportunities of family. The, fa the uh, first family you were a gestational surrogate for, another opportunity of family. Your two old boys, an opportunity of family. Now you have another family that you're literally spread. You guys are spreading your angelic wings and, and sprinkling your, your miracle dust on, which is just amazing. It's just so beautiful. The baby was born. You had high risks throughout the entire pregnancy. I'm going to take an assumption that the pregnancy was, was there a complication or everything was, it was, it is they what it is. I kept thinking that I was going to end up delivering horrifically early, like had plans in place for me delivering at like 28 weeks. And she held out until they forced her out at 39 weeks. She didn't want to leave. She's oh. comfortable. She was at the Ritz-Carlton well, and, and so And then they were, <laughs> they were worried about having to induce us. And so yeah. there was a high risk of needing to be a C-section. They were, they were planning for the worst. I had to be to induced not. because we needed literally every staff member. All hands on deck. Yeah. Um, and then... It wasn't as bad as everybody thought it was going to be. She had a procedure the next day. They were able to go through the artery in her groin, which they weren't sure if they were going to be able. How, how big was the baby? And it was boy, girl? She's a girl. And she was six. She was the smallest baby I ever carried. And she was six, 12. And that's a small baby? That's like an average size baby, isn't it? That's, well, the baby I had before that was 913. It's like a, so. a watermelon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow. So this little girl, she was born. They did this just... Uh, 24 hours later, she had the heart procedure. And literally two days later, she got to go home. Which they, they were thinking to be in the hospital for weeks. Yeah. And, and were you there with Courtney during this process? Absolutely. Like this, From and, start to finish. And you were able to help this new family yeah, the, just like the other so situation. So the first family, they already had one son. So they kind of knew a little bit of the drill. Yeah. This family, this was their first child. And so the whole pregnancy itself was, I guess you could say, draining on this family because of nerves and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, letting another woman carry your baby already. And then I when the baby imagine. has a thing like a heart issue, obviously that's heart and brain is the scariest possible issues in a baby. So the couple was very nervous, you know, and I. We didn't know this couple, obviously, before this whole process started, and I did my best to, you know, befriend the father, you know, the two males kind of, you know, companionship and, you know, trying to, like, you know, be another dad that can help him out. And so when everything happened in the, in the, you know, in, in the birth room, and I was the same thing, I was there right by our side, helping with everything I could, ensuring that everything got done the right way, and... You know, both those parents were in the room when that baby was born, and it was very like you were rolling the dice when that baby was born. Nobody knew what was going to happen when that baby came out. We didn't know if that baby was going to come out and immediately pass away. We didn't know. We were worst case scenario, best case worst. scenario. Yeah, yeah, we were planning for the worst. Yeah, and luckily that baby for having a heart defect, we got the best best possible outcome. Both. Me and mom got to hold the baby in the delivery room. They didn't have to rush her out. They didn't they have to thought, vent her. They thought the baby was going to come out and they would have to rush her to surgery immediately. 
That's what they thought. That's what they pretty much said was going to happen. That's why they had an entire surgery team prepped in the room as she was given birth. Wow. And then it was like easy. I mean, she has a heart defect. Considering but like she had the procedure the next day. They didn't have to crack her chest, which is amazing because when you have to do that on little people, it prevents them from playing a lot of sports and causes other issues. And then she had one other heart procedure around her first birthday to extend one of, to expand one of the valves in her heart. And that's it. They're hoping they don't have to do anything else. I mean, I and how, and how old is she now? She just turned three. Wow. And last you, week. She are, turned three last are, week. Are you, are, are you? I do still talk to her parents. Yeah. I was, you know, I spoke to the dad, you know, every once in a while at procedures and stuff, but Courtney and the mom spoke every single day. Courtney was, ironically, Courtney was the mom's rock. Like, Courtney was there for that mom, answering all of her 300,000 questions. Her mom questions, a brand new mom. Any mom, especially with an at-risk pregnancy, would have. Courtney was a boss. Courtney knew every single... She didn't know it. She found it out. It wasn't like the mom had to go to Google for all of her questions. Courtney was Google. Courtney was Google, and Courtney and Courtney's midwife were very good friends to the point where Courtney could text her on a regular basis and get answers from her, which who else can do that with their doctor? And Courtney was getting the mom the best medical advice Courtney could possibly give her, and I truly feel that Courtney's the only reason that mom probably didn't have a nervous breakdown when all this was going on because it was scary for her and it was a lot to handle. And I think because of her experience and us having a, you know, a hockey team team of our own at home and then being through surrogacy already, she knew how everything worked. And even after the baby was born, Courtney would talk to mom on a regular basis. We, our first date night we had together, we ended up out to eat near their home. And guess what we did for that date? We went over and hung out with the baby because that was the first time the baby was at home. And we uh, decided after we got done eating, Courtney kind of gave me the look and I knew where we were and I knew where they lived. And I said, call her. Let's go. So Courtney called her and we went over there and our first child-free night after this all happened, we went and hung out with their baby. And it was his birthday. And it was my birthday. You know, but... But what a better gift. But to me, it was like full circle. Like you finally, I got this outside of that crazy medical environment i got to see my wife at home at a home the child's home with the mom sitting on the couch side by side my wife holding the baby the mom holding the baby me and the dad talking that's what it's all about that's what we did this for we didn't do this to be in the hospital and see the baby go away and us leave we did it to see the baby at home with their family and being loved being loved seeing the crib seeing their dog who's super gentle because before they had that baby, that dog was their only baby. So now they got both their babies together yeah. and seeing the baby in their home and how, you know, you sit back and sometimes you get on the outside of a situation. And I get on the outside and you say, this is what it's all about. You see how happy these people are. And like I said, I'm modest. You tell me this is amazing. It is what it is to us. But every once in a while you have those moments where you're like, yeah, it hits you. That's why. You know, that's why we did this. Everything slows down, and it's like yeah. a surreal moment. It's like yeah. a scene out of a movie where my, everything's slow motion. Right. And my sister took photos in the delivery room, and of course, you know, while you're giving birth, you're not paying attention. And probably the last four months of my pregnancy, I would have said, 
I don't know why I signed up for this. This was stupid. I'll never do this again. If I could go back, I would not do this. But to see them. And then there was one picture of baby's mom's face and she just the look on her face and I was like oh yeah well if she wants another baby I'll probably sign up again it, it was the most rewarding look yeah. of just just pure joy and the text messages that I got like the day they got to go home she sent me a text message on every think, she kept Courtney up to date on every single aspect and she didn't have to baby's first she, birthday once that baby is is given to them they could essentially cut us off they have no reason to stay in contact with us and that happens to some surrogates. But I feel that we felt it was important to have a good relationship with our surrogate or our families. And we still have a great relationship with both of their both of the kid, the babies and their and their parents. And Courtney was just on edge about every single procedure that that baby had in the days to follow as her mom was because it was just as important to Courtney as it was her mom. I was no. responsible for somebody's whole world. They had waited nine years for a baby and she had been poked and prodded and gone through miscarriages. And then when you find out something is wrong, all I could think was her whole life, mentally, financially, is literally in my womb and I am responsible for this. Man, you can't put a price tag uh, on that I when you were talking was about probably... It was a lot of pressure. That, that pregnancy was a lot of pressure yeah. because even though... Everybody at this table knows that she had no control other than like, you know, deciding to go drive in a demolition derby or something, you know, she, there's nothing she could have done differently other than just, you know, be smart and eat right and, you know, do the appointments. If that baby, if something were to happen to that baby inside of her, it wouldn't have been her fault. But I can't imagine the type of guilt and I don't know what would have happened after that if something would have happened. Between us, between the parents, between oh, it's a, a house of cards would have fell right yeah, down. Yeah, because Just, there's that, so much on the line. She, the the there was immense pressure. The difference between the first one and the second one was the amount of pressure and stress. The first one was just, hey, we're having a baby, everything's good. You know, in a few months we'll be we'll be Easy we'll be out. The second one was every single day was pressure. What appointment we're going to? That's why. When the, I remember when the parents asked us if we'd be willing to drive to Milwaukee, we were like, absolutely. Are you, are you serious? Like, you think we're going to tell you, you, say you no? Think we're gonna tell you no? You <laughs> yeah. know, because <laughs> if it's something that could help this baby, wants to drive to California, like, whatever you want us to yeah. do. Yeah. Because in the grand scheme of things, to affect this baby, to benefit this baby, to benefit this baby for the Nothing. rest of her life, how could we say no? You so, can't. You can't. You can't say that. Because you have to make sure you do every single possible thing to better the life of this child. Wow. Wow. So, all right. So you just performed another miracle for a family. I started this conversation off thinking that you were pulling miracles for fur babies, being a, being a, a foster parent for puppies well now that i can't get pregnant anymore i had to find something else to do with all my so are are you are you no longer in the surrogacy world um i made the decision after joey was born to make sure that i was not ever going to decide one day that it should be a good idea again and i had a procedure done so i shops closed yes what was was it because it was such a high stress time? Yeah. Where, okay. Um, I 
had horrific morning sickness the entire yeah. time and the meds that I would have normally taken I could not take because, because of, of her heart, heart the risk because of her heart defect um, she was sitting on a nerve and it would cause my entire leg to go numb like couldn't walk anymore and so like when he says we had to like drive to Milwaukee Instead of it taking like three hours, it took like to five because I like would have to like get up and I'd have to like around. move her and like wait for the oh feeling to come back yeah. in my leg. And I'm already a super anxious person in the car. I just don't like being there. Out of all my kids, she's the worst kid when it comes to road trips. Yeah. You give her like some Benadryl. Some yeah. She needs put a Benadryl or a shot of tequila. Yeah. I can't, no, I can't, I can't have Benadryl either. <laughs> um, so if I could like, but like now I had said like, the first family that I carried for would, has more embryos and they would like to have one or two more babies depending on how that works because just because you put two in there doesn't mean you get two out um but your store is closed yeah because and luckily for him i made the decision coming right out of giving birth yeah because now i've been like i would totally do it again yeah he's like what is wrong with you so so you went from being an angel to three families and your own family now you're being an angel to fur families, fostering dogs. Uh-huh. When did that come into the equation of what you guys do of being probably the two most selfless, loving people to life? When, when did that fall into this? She really just wanted to play with puppies. I we're think. right at two years. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're like exactly at the two-year mark that we've been fostering puppies. Um, one of my girlfriends posted a video of her best friend and its puppies they were a great dane and it's five great dane puppies and i was like oh i want puppies we should apply to foster we were like laying in bed and as he's like tripping over my shoulder about you're stupid we're not doing this we have too many kids i was already submitting the application you're already done. <laughs> <laughs> i was already submitting the application i thought i had i thought i had a choice or something no no choice and so two days later they contacted me and were like hey we have two puppies can you come and get them and so now we're 27 puppies in. Yeah, puppy number 27 in. was adopted today, actually, at about noon. Puppy number 27. Yeah, over the over the past two years. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, over the yeah. past two yeah. years. Yeah. Okay, that's better yeah. than the last 10 days. Yeah. But two years, 27 puppies you were able to get homes for. But we did take big chunks off. After we had to put our old dog down, we decided to adopt one of our foster puppies. So we did take like probably nine months off so we could focus on like potty training them and keep them from eating my couch. And so how many, so you, you have in your family as full-time fur, fur family. We have two, two resident dogs. Two yeah. resident dogs. So you have, you have two fur, fur families. Yes. And now, and then you foster and the fostering process is again you sign up for an agency and then you assume responsibility for the puppy for shots neutering spaying and then you are given the opportunity to place the puppy with a family yeah every every single puppy that there's some families that foster puppies and they just foster them and they let the agency do everything the we foster their humane society through a no kill shelter so um you know, and we believe in, you know, shelter and adopting through shelters and things like that. And 
every single dog that we have gotten placed with us, we have personally gotten that dog adopted through a family that we know or who is friends with a friend. There's not one of the puppies that we've got placed with us that ever went back to a shelter. There's some families that keep the dog, the puppy for a month or two, and then the shelter doesn't find anybody to adopt them, so the families just give the dog back to the shelter and try a different puppy. That's never happened. None of our puppies have ever went back. Every single one has been adopted out of our home. And it's and we know or have contact with every single family that's adopted one of those puppies. So you have positively spread love and transformed 30 homes with 27 fur babies and adopting two beautiful girls as well as being a surrogate for two other families. That's that's amazing. That is that is and you guys are looking at me like, "Oh, it's what we do." <laughs> and I'm looking at you like this is uh, this is amazing. I knew a little bit of the story coming here. But as we're sharing more, this is the most amazing story that I've heard yet of selflessness it is truly just beautiful. I'm going to drive home today and I'm, I might be listening to like Richard Marks crying this of like some love song. This is where he turns off the mic and was like, your wife is really bat poop crazy. <laughs> yep. It's like I, my that. hair stand up on my arms because <laughs> you're not bat poop crazy. You're, you're literally the, you guys are living angels. Well, and it's, it's also though, I mean, what people have to realize is it's not all like sunshine and rainbows. I mean, there's lots of, lots of difficult times too and lots of, but you just have to have the strength and the mental toughness to power through and, see the see the light at the end of the tunnel and you know know what you're doing it for and you know I, I i would tell anybody the pros and cons of everything and you know i've had people at work ask me people in public ask me because people in public are probably the most judgy out of everybody why do you say that well we are you know we are a white family and our two daughters who we adopted are um african-american girls and uh when you are out in public, it's very clear that racism is still a very real thing. And uh, people from both sides, you know, African-American people and white people will vocalize their displeasure with your decisions. Um, they flat out just ignorant. They flat out just like ignorant. Like you have old things. white women, like you couldn't find a white baby. Are you serious? Yeah. It's so at that, at that point, Dad's going to take a charge, and you're going to have a battery right here. I would knock yeah, them out. I, no, I'm not promoting be, violence. It wouldn't be him. It, not, would, <laughs> it wouldn't be him. That is the He's most like disgusting. He's like the most calm, like, I, chilled person ever. You know, that's it's, disgusting. It, that is the most disgusting. I, I'm, like, nauseous. It's, it's nauseous. Very, it's funny because I have a career where I haven't always, you know, been people's favorite person. I've grown to just... Thick skin. Thick skin. I don't worry about that stuff. It doesn't bother me. I... I know what type of person I am. I care about what my wife and my kids think about me. I don't care what anybody else thinks. And I want to be able to look myself in the mirror when I go home, and I make decisions based on how I feel. I don't make decisions for what I think you know, this person wants me to do or what that person thinks I should do. I make my own decisions. For what's best of for the family. For what's best for my family. Yes. And family first, a thousand percent of the time, 10 out of 10 times, family first. I will never pick anything else over my family. So we go out into various places, put whatever place you want to put, and it's all of us out. And I got two black daughters, two white boys, a 
glowing skinned redheaded wife and myself. And, and you're like Brad Pitt. And yeah, I'm like Brad Pitt, beautiful. And mm-hmm. you know, but it's clear that, you know, my wife isn't dating, you know, isn't her the the, the girl's father isn't, you know, my wife's black husband or my black wife. It's clear that these girls are with our family through foster care or adoption. So people have plenty of things to say and they'll say it right to your face or they will just stare at you. Just ignorance. And give you dirty looks. And I just don't care. I ignore it. I don't let it bother me. I never have. But my I'm, wife I'm doesn't right. have a career where people, you know, say right. You're not hardened. I, I mean, uh, he can say no, you're not. No. I'm used to people saying rude things. Yeah. My first surrogacy was for two men, and I had lots of people make comments. Well, if men were supposed to have babies, they'd be just able ignorant. To yeah, but they also didn't know that by looking at you. No, but so, like, so like, I'm used to people saying rude things, and but, now like, yeah, there was people that said I'm not nice. There was people when that said people rude things to us, or people that would you're stare bad, at crazy. Us. Yeah, yeah, they would stare at us, and I would always. I'm a fan of when people stare at you or. Hi. I would be very obnoxious and just wave at them and say hi and basically call them out. Let them know that you notice that they're staring at you. Elderly were the worst usually because they're old school thinking, you know, from the days where, you know, you have this or that, you know, this division, a country and divide, things like that. So elderly were probably the worst. Um, even some family, even some of our family had things to say and, you know, racist thoughts or racist upbringing and they weren't pleased with the situation. Fortunately, it wasn't their decision. And some of them had to be on the back end of some difficult conversations between Courtney or I. And that's where it just comes back to just being very strong and confident and knowing what you're... To me, our kids, color never even existed. Our kids have never... There was one time my son asked why my daughter was so tan. They don't even think of it as a different they color. They don't. Well, I mean, you know how Kids dark don't. my dad is. That's, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. We're Native, my, my dad's Native American. We're, I'm Native American, and my dad is as dark as an oak tree. He, and when yeah. I was a kid, my dad was a black man because I was just brown. Dad, dad's skin's brown, so is He's Papa's skin. Always got so, that Hawaiian boy, skin. So is Grandpa's skin. The boys asked, when the girls first moved in, we gave them a bath. And after they had had a bath, our oldest son was like, well, how come she's still dirty? And I was they like, what? Know. And he was like, well, I thought she'd come out more clean when you gave her a bath. And I was like, buddy, she has brown skin. Like, you know how, like, I have freckles? That's just what color her skin is. And he was like, oh, okay. It was never even That was thing. the only conversation I, I think we've I ever had. I distinctly remember, like, you talk about people's judgment in public. I distinctly remember one day we went and picked up our sons from school and... We used to walk to our son's school and our girls were with us. And my my oldest daughter has huge black curly hair. And like to the point where it's like nine inches long and it just sticks straight up and it's just wild and crazy. And we've always... Can I borrow some from my head? Yeah, she's looked, like my retreating. she's looked like that <laughs> since we got her at 11 months old. And that's been her like trademark is her big hair. And I remember one time we went and picked up our kids and our sons came out and our girls got excited saw their boys. We were walking with my oldest son. You know, you pick kids up and, you know, they start walking through the crowd of kids running to their parents and stuff like that. We were walking home, so he's walking with his sister holding her hand. One of his friends walks up to him and they're like, who's that? He's like, oh, it's my sister. And the kid looked at my son, looked at the 
our daughter and was like trying to figure it out. You know, like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, how can that be? And he's like, he looks at his friend. He's like, she's adopted. Like, <laughs> duh. come on. Like, yeah. how do you not figure this out? But you could see the his friend looking at my son and his black sister thinking, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. Because I know your mom and I know yeah, your dad. Yeah, I, I know your there's... parents. How is your sister? And my son was just like, she's adopted. Like, it was that matter of fact, like, what's the problem? Why is this confusing? And because they're, they're so young and innocent that, okay, now we just move on to the next topic. Yeah, it's simple. And, and that's how life should be for everybody. Right. We, I, I had a talk on an earlier podcast with, with uh, I think it was with Bev. And she asked, it's sort of off topic, but it gets to this topic about what people are concerned about uh, Sarah and I when we were losing all of our weight. And it came down to one thing. If they're saying, oh, you're going to fail or they did that, one thing, mind your own business. Mind your own business. And the second thing, treat others the way you would want to be treated. Would you want somebody to return that type of look or that type of disgusted, ignorant comment to you? You know, if it, treat others the way you want to be treated and mind your own business. Those are the two probably biggest staples you could you could live a life of. Yeah, and I mean, those are probably the things I should probably be teaching my older children, but I'm not usually that grace. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. That, that, hits, I, that hits me. When I hear those comments about people saying that, that, that bothers me. And, and you guys know I'm a giant teddy bear. But I can turn into a, a crazed Kodiak bear. In, in well, a especially when you become Papa Bear or Mama Bear. Yes. Well, about usually your own I just end up saying, apparently, like when people are staring at us, like apparently they have never seen a white woman with black children that's, and just keep walking. It's Real so nauseating. It's, it's so nauseating to me, and it bothers me so much. And again, I have my reasons. I was, when I was younger, when I was a young boy, I was a bully too. And that's, I did that. I, I was a bully just because I, I wasn't happy with me and I was, I was trying to fit in all these other things. But when you see an adult being a bully like that, being an ignorant, disgusting Essentially person, to children. To children. Mm-hmm. Nah, I'm, I'm not working with that. And that, that is one thing where my blood will boil. And it takes, and I'm a bigger person and I'll keep my mouth shut. And But that definitely, that enforces my belief, my way of, the golden rule, I'm going to treat others the way I would want to be treated and mind your business. It's not my business. I don't care if you're walking around with two children that one is turquoise right. and one is uh, Ruka Salt Blue from uh, Willy Wonka. What Who cares? Does, what effect does it have on what your life? What effect does it have on your what life? What effect does any decision anybody yes, makes have on your it life? It doesn't. makes right. no effect. It will not affect my children and that will not affect my wife. So why do I need to worry about that? Why can't other people get that through their skulls? And it is so sad they can't. So sad they can't. And that, that's one thing that bothered. That's, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm fired up about that. That's it, a it, shame. It was definitely a learning curve, I think. It was, uh, you know, for us to notice it is one thing. But when our boys started noticing it, and even our boys would be like, why is that lady staring at us? And then, you know, after the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time, the boys are just like, it is what it is. They ignore ignorant. it. You know, they, they ignore it too. They're disgusting people. Yeah. And it's just, I mean. Was this something that you, you know, ad- adopting two African-American girls coming from as white as rice family? Is this something that you guys thought about? And how, how is this going to be dealt with? Because eventually it's going to come. There are pieces of poo out there that are just ignorant, 
pooped. So when we got on, when we decided to foster, it's not that we went out with the intention to foster African American girls. We just said we didn't care. No, 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 not not with that. But yeah, what? I was just setting it up before yeah. that. We okay. we initially said we didn't care, and then when we got our girls, there was immediate things that we had to start learning, like hair care, skin care, things cultural like that. difference, cultural differences, and again. I defer to my rock star wife. She immediately started going into major research mode about how we can take care of these kids the best way possible because it's not the same. But how do you research ignorant people that are just um, complete, just pieces of poop? I mean, that, that's... I mean, you, you don't... I think DCS should do better jobs of preparing white people to raise kids of color well i think just people to raise kids that aren't the same as them They're, yeah i mean you know, i any, mean even if it was reversed even if it was black being parents raising yeah. white kids yeah. we're humans we're, um, we're humans and it doesn't matter what what but color that's not how society works oh uh, we i just had a uh, a podcast with a, a gentleman he's a teammate of mine lt we talked about that about and we related it to football to sports you're big into baseball. What are you're you're probably a big baseball mom, and we related it to sports and football. We come from all different cultures. We come from all different communities. Doesn't we matter. Come, it doesn't matter. Right. We are black and purple tigers. I don't care if you came from the projects. I don't care if you came from the Gold Coast. I'm going to take care of you because you're my family, and that's it. We're together. We're one. And if if society could grasp the sport culture of when we put on our uniform, we are one. We're human beings. We are one. We're, we're one. It, do, it doesn't matter what our what our uniforms have. We are here together. We, you know, we are here together as one as one team. And um, that's yeah. That, that we were talking about that. And it's sort of it, it's interesting because I just released the first uh, the first of the three part series with LT, and, and we talk about that about we're a family. I take care of to my brother to the left. I take care of my brother to the right. I take care of my coach, which is our father. He takes care of us, and no one cares at all about where we come from, what our backgrounds are, because we're one, just like the home. But wow, that, that is something else. Well, to end, we've this is two hours, and it's gone by literally like two minutes. You guys are angels. You guys are absolute angels, and it's been an absolute honor to sit across from your, your beautiful kitchen, your counter here, and we went through a couple of technical errors because, again, we're, this isn't big time yet. We don't have fancy schmancy equipment and production teams on the one-man show. You guys are just fantastic. You are beautiful people. And it, it's been a, an honor to really dive deep and to learn your story. I, I knew parts of it through Josh, talking with him, you know, in the neighborhood and stuff. But to really learn this in whole, encompassing, it's, I, it's sort of hard to, to comprehend how magnificent what you guys done other people not only that but now we get to share it with everybody that there are people like courtney and josh that this is true stories these are aren't things that you hear about this is real you affected 30 families through babies through fur babies it's amazing thank you and i i truly i truly am like blown away touched that you guys shared this story and now we get to share it with many people and hopefully we, we, we can hear more of Courtney and Josh's out there that are, that are doing this, that they think this is normal. This is just a way of life. But from an outsider looking in, you guys are literally angels. This is beautiful. So thank you so much. I appreciate you having us on. 
Awesome. Well, you guys got to get to bed. So we're going to end this right now. <laughs> For those who think that angels are not real, Courtney and Josh are real angels that walk amongst us. Their story is encouraging, inspirational, motivating on how to just be good humans. Live the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Help those. Be the helper. Every cliche saying that I say every single episode, they are the definitions of that. And I am absolutely honored to have this opportunity to interview them on a story that just blows me away. But to them, it's just being normal. That's what they do. They are beautiful people, beautiful souls, and they have a spot in heaven coming up guaranteed for everything that they've done to help families, to grow their family, to teach through this podcast, as well as probably be a great friend uh, and teach valuable lessons to their friends and family. Thank you so much once again for tuning into the Inspired Podcast. I hope you guys all have a great week. Thank you so much for the listens, the clicks, the downloads, uh, and our sponsors. Thank you to all of our sponsors. TM Tire, Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist, Plermo 63rd, Pizza, Mr. and Mrs. Robert and Amy Parsons. You guys are awesome. Hope you have a good week.